Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I am joined by Brittany Keck, Program Manager for Thrive Sexual Health Collective for Youth. Today, in honor of Let's Talk Month, we are empowering parents to talk with kids of all ages in developmentally appropriate ways about sexual health. Welcome, Brittany. Thanks so much for being here. Absolutely. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So I want to start us off today by acknowledging for our listeners that this is a big conversation that can feel uncomfortable and awkward. Um, I know I was really fortunate to grow up in a household where we had ongoing positive conversations about sexual health. And it's still really hard for me as a mom to psych myself up sometimes to have these same kinds of conversations with my kids. So for our listeners, if you're feeling overwhelmed or unsure about this, just know that that is okay. Brittany is an incredible expert and resource. She's gonna walk us through all of this together. And I know I'm really thrilled for the opportunity to learn from you today, Brittany. So let's start with the research. We know it can be easier for parents to embark on these conversations if they really understand the why behind them and the importance of information about sex and sexual health coming from their parents. So what does research tell us that can be compelling for parents? So sexuality is often a topic that parents themselves have never had the opportunity to have honest conversations about anyway. So this can be really hard to even know where to start, what to talk about, like what am I doing, what do I need to say, how do I talk about this without doing damage, right? All, all of these things start going through our head. Um, but what we do know is that when kids don't have access to honest sexual health education, they will try to learn it on their own. Um, they may learn through peers, they may learn through social media, videos, maybe even pornography, experimentation, all kinds of outlets that they're going to try and figure out what, what they want to know, what they need to know. And so um, all of these things, their curiosity, it can lead to really unsafe and even abusive experiences for them. So we want to get ahead of that, right? Research tells us that, well, and we know that parents are the number one influence and number one teachers for their kids. Um, you get to be around your kids more than anybody else and really have an impact on their learning for all topics. And that includes sexuality. So it's really about getting ahead of them learning these things from other places and making sure they're receiving the actual factual information and the information we want them to know. Um, when we have sexual health conversations with our kids, we are also really working to prevent sexual assault and abuse. So we're giving them tools, we're helping them to know what is okay, what is not okay, and we're giving them the space to come and talk to you over and over again if they ever feel uncomfortable or unsafe and need your help. So that's why, that's why these conversations are so, so vital and so important. I feel like the most compelling thing for me is when I stop and think about, do I want my kids getting this information somewhere else? Or do I, even in my discomfort, or do I want to be the one that's providing them the information they need to know? Absolutely. Because if you, if you think about it and you think about um, with every other topic out there, we encourage their curiosity. We encourage them to learn. If they've never tried a certain food, we're like, ooh, we've got to try this. If they've never um, been roller skating, well, let's go do this for the first time together. And we hold their hand and we teach them and we help them and we watch them grow. And where sexuality is a little bit different, it's the same concept. We want to 
um, instill our values, instill, you know, what we need them to know to be safe as they grow up. And it's, yeah, like you said, it can be uncomfortable and we have to go, grow through that discomfort um, and talk with them and let them know, you know, these are the facts. This is what can happen. So another important piece of this whole conversation is before we even talk to our kids is to um, address that in order to empower parents to talk to their kids about sex and sexual health, we have to acknowledge that a lot of parents didn't have the benefit of these conversations with their parents and they may feel entirely inadequate or completely overwhelmed to create this environment where these discussions are commonplace in their home now with their kids. So first, Brittany, what's your message for those parents and how can we educate ourselves first so that we do feel more confident? Well, the first thing I want to say is you're not alone in this. Like you're not alone. You don't have to do this alone. There's a lot of resources out there. We talk to parents and caregivers all the time who come to us and just feel like they do not have the skills in their tool belt to have these conversations. And it, it's kind of going back to what I said earlier. Um, we oftentimes we we were this was not modeled for us these conversations may or may not have been modeled in an appropriate way for us and it's hard it's a really hard conversation so um the first thing i want to say is like your best resource will be online resources there's a few out there that are really great uh of course i'll point you to the thrive website um that's you know thrive is where i work in our organization and there is a resource tab and they have a, a parent toolkit and some other things my favorite resource on the website is the book list we have. It's age-appropriate books um, for different ages and stages, starting at three-year-olds all the way up to 14 plus, and it's broken up into categories. So it really will help um, help you to kind of go through and look at what is age-appropriate language? What does this look like? Uh, how can we have these conversations? Um, and so you can you could either get some of those books and read those along with your child, or you could take those books and look at them for yourself, learn the language. This is how a three-year-old may learn. This is how a six-year-old may learn. This is age-appropriate language for them, and that can help you to give you the tools, even if you're not ready to show them the picture or show them the book, that can really help you. Um, there's also a website out there that I love, 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 love. It's called amaze.org, and it was uh, created through Advocates for Youth, and it's all free resources. There's videos, there's information for parents and educators and youth. It's really great. The videos are phenomenal. They're funny, they're cute. Again, I always recommend parents going through it first. What is, what am I ready to talk about? What is my, uh, what is appropriate for my child? Uh, and then show them, then sit along with them and say, hey, what do you, you know, you asked a question about puberty. Let's watch this video and, and then we can talk about it. And that can really help, A, take some of the language off you, some of the pressure off you, but also sit together so you're not looking face to face, but you're watching something. And then you can kind of, well, what did you think about that? And have conversations that way. So I just really encourage you to find those kind of resources that can help you first um, and encourage that language. And then if that's not working for you, you need more, you can always reach out um, to some experts in the field, go on different websites and, and find some tools that can really help you. I feel like books are always an incredible resource for whatever parenting topic, you know, that I'm unsure about or that I feel like I need to talk to my kids about. If I don't know where to start, I get a book. <laughs> so that's great. And Thrive does have incredible resources. I love that book list on your site. That's absolutely a great place for parents to start. 
Um, and I love to, um, I've heard you talk many times about, you know, just reading those books yourself as the parent and then making the decision about whether that's something you want to share with your child or you just want to take the information you learned from the book and decide what is appropriate to, to chat with your child about at whatever age they're at. Yeah, it's, it, it can be really overwhelming when, when a kiddo comes to you and asks a question. Um, but if you re it, feels, it also feels funny to sit and read a, a, you know, a book written for a five-year-old just by myself, and, but it really does. It helps you with that language. It helps you to be more prepared when they do come to you and ask some of those questions that you, were just, you're, you know they're going to ask. Um, so it, it really helps you with that, like I said, that tool, the, having those tools to, to, to speak with them appropriately and not giving them too much information, but answering their questions appropriately. Definitely. And I love to what you said about if you're sitting at the computer or you're watching or you're looking at a book together, um, it reminds me of my mom has always told me if there are any uncomfortable parenting conversations you need to have with your kids, the car is a great place to do that because you don't have to look at each other face to face and you're stuck there together. So it can be a really good place for any kind of difficult conversation with kids. Yeah. Good for mama, because that's, that's one of those tips that we put out there all the time. Like, take, seize the opportunity when it comes up. You don't, I mean, you have, hear a song on the radio, you're like, oh, what did they just say? What do you think about that? Right? But you're not looking at them. Sometimes that can be really awkward when we think of having the talk, sitting face-to-face, -face, on a couch, eye contact. It's hard for a lot of people. It's especially hard for young people to sit there um, with a topic that is so taboo and they feel like, oh, if I say anything, I'm going to get in trouble. That, nobody wants that. So absolutely right. Seize those opportunities. The car, uh, while you're watching TV, maybe you're on a walk or walking the dog, whatever. That might be a really good opportunity for some of those things to come up. Yes. yes. It uses some of the awkwardness, I think. Absolutely. So contrary to what parents today might have experienced when they were growing up, or even I feel like what we still see on TV shows, a conversation about sex and sexual health is not a one and done thing. The real key here and what you've been talking about is having these ongoing age appropriate conversations starting when kids are pretty young so that we can create this environment in our homes where we as parents continue to educate and engage with our kids and our kids will feel comfortable coming to us to ask us questions. So at what age do we start these conversations and what might that look like for young children? Well, <laughs> it's hard because every child is different, right? Every child is different. What they are curious about, what they want to know about, it's very, very different. And what I always tell people and parents is um, if a child is old enough to ask a question, they're old enough for the answer. Something has sparked their curiosity, whether they saw something, they heard something, a friend told them something, something has sparked that curiosity and they're ready for an honest response. So it's really easy for us to say something like, oh, you don't need to know that yet, or you're not old enough, where did you even hear that? And say things like that, but you really don't want to shut the door on that conversation. You want them to continue to come to you, continue to ask. So as early as that starts to happen, as early as we start to answer, um, that's, that's, the best answer I have for you. Sometimes that'll look like a three-year-old and sometimes that will look until like six, seven, or eight. It just depends on the kid and when they're ready to start asking those questions. Um, 
when we're talking to our kids, we have to really think about that we're laying a foundation for them. We're laying this foundation of learning and building a healthy relationships for the future. So we, we don't want to shut them down. We just want to continue talking. And by answering with honest and accurate um, communication, we're telling them, A, I respect you. I respect that you're asking the question. I can give you this answer. B, you can count on me for the support. And C, I want to ensure that you have the right information that's preparing you for your future. Um, and so just being open and honest at every age and stage, wherever they're at, wherever they're coming to you from, um, is, is that's when we start. It's when we start talking about it. And we also know, oh, sorry, go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> I was just going to say, we also know, unfortunately, that the average age of reported sexual abuse is usually around nine years old. So if you're looking for a reason, what's the concrete age, what, like, what is, what time is this? I usually recommend about seven or eight before um, we know the average age of abuse can start. And so really having those conversations with them so they know what's okay, what's not okay, and, and when, when do we start to, you know, use our, what do we use our voice for? When do we need to speak up? What do we need to say? Those kind of things. Um, it's the care center locally that has the ROAR program. Yes. And they have some really good online resources. Um, they also will come to schools and do presentations. And that is really um, just what you're talking about, teaching kids what kind of touches are and aren't appropriate and how to, um, how to tell if something happens to them that is inappropriate. Absolutely. And the Care Center, like you said, provides amazing resources. They have a book, Rex Finds His Roar. Um, it's a, I'm a huge book person. You'll hear me reference several books, but that's one that's one of my favorites uh, for kids who may have experienced um, any kind of abuse, finding that voice. It's, it's really cool that they have resources out there like that. They're amazing. And I love that, um, you know, they are, when they're presenting, they're presenting to kids younger than that eight or nine-year-old age range that you're talking about. Um, so it's really a proactive program. I think it can be really terrifying when we think, I need to talk to my, you know, toddlers or preschoolers about sex or sexual health, but that also just looks like naming body parts appropriately and even talking about, you know, you don't have to give a hug to uncle so-and-so if you don't want to. Like there are some, um, there are some ways to start those kinds of conversations when our kids are teeny tiny that makes sense for their age and, and their development. Yeah, well, laying a foundation for sexual health, it doesn't always have to look like sexual health, like you just said. You can lay that foundation for consent really early, um, just like what you were talking about, about forcing a child to kiss or hug a, a family member, just but offering a suggestion, would you rather wave? Would you rather, you know, uh, blow a kiss? You know, things like that, instead of that physical touch and boundary, and that's not sexual at all. Um, same thing about naming body parts. Those questions start coming up around toilet training. Um, uh, there's other things that happen and, and kids are just curious. You know, three-year-olds think body parts are funny of every kind. And so encouraging them to name their body parts appropriately, making sure that we're not shaming any of those body parts. It's a big part of that conversation, not only just for general sexual health, but for helping to prevent child abuse of, you know, sexual child abuse, anything um, that can happen that you want to give them power. You want to give them the power to say, hey, this happened and not be ashamed of any area of their body. That's so So when do we start talking to our kids about puberty and why is it important that we make those conversations inclusive of what other genders experience? 
Well, there's not a magic time. There's not a magic time that you just sit down and give the talk. I really encourage ongoing conversations as early as possible. So as early as they start asking questions, like I was saying earlier, um, and you have to look for those questions and seize those opportunities. It may not look straight up like, what is puberty, right? It may look like a four-year-old, um, I think of my own child, but it may be like a four-year-old saying, mommy, why do you wear deodorant and I don't have to, right? oh, well, you haven't hit puberty yet, and then kind of guiding through that conversation, I'm probably not going to have a full, you know, encompassing conversation about what puberty looks like, but in that moment, I'm saying, hey, at some point, bodies change, and you, bodies grow, and they may become stinkier, so I'm laying that foundation of this will happen, this is normal, everybody goes through puberty, and it can start really, really, really early, um, and it comes up a lot earlier than you think. So it's, it, it, it's ongoing. There's not, again, there's not an age. It's as soon as you hear an opportunity, take it. Take that opportunity to really empower them and prepare them for what's to come. And then as far as addressing, like, I think you said something about genders. What, how did you, what did you say? I'm sorry. About talking to your kids about what other genders experience when they go through puberty. Oh, yes. Yeah. So oftentimes we hear, you know, well, well, girls only need to learn about girl parts and what happens to their bodies and boys, same thing. What, what they need to know about male body parts and what happens to them. And we really want this to be a richer conversation. We want them to be able to, to learn about all bodies um, and learn about reproduction of, of both body parts, what's happening for boys, girls, whomever. Um, and honestly, this is just a big part of the conversation so that we can help them to think critically so that they don't learn a bunch of myths and misconceptions that they just fall into and believe. If they don't understand how bodies work, they don't understand how, um, you know, how reproduction works, then they don't know how to prevent any of the consequences that could happen later down the road. So you really want to give them the tools to think critically about, oh, well, I heard this myth, but that couldn't be true because X, Y, and Z are the facts, right? You, you want to teach them before they're learning this stuff on the back of the bus or in a movie or in a song, you want them to really learn about all bodies, no matter where they're coming from. I, um, it really stuck with me in a recent um, presentation that I got to hear with members of the Thrive team that telling boys what happens to girls' bodies, telling girls what happens to boys' bodies, that also helps create empathy um, and a greater understanding and, and whether, you know, like for my household, I have a girl and two boys. And so it's important for me as they get older for them to understand what each other is going through. Um, but even if you don't have that kind of household, um, you know, I think it's still important for them to understand what their friends of different genders are experiencing. Um, so that they do kind of have maybe a more empathetic reaction or understanding of, of why different bodies work differently than theirs do. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And you have to think about it too, like the end goal of, as parents or caregivers is to have happy, healthy children and raise happy, healthy adults, right? That, that's where we want them to be. And if we keep, keep secrets and we don't tell them about each other's body parts it's hard for them to understand these these foundational um, pieces of what happens and, and and how it happens and that empathy piece and understanding just a general understanding and education of of all of these concepts is really important and so we really want to see 
these conversations happening, we don't want them to think, oh, well, that's girl stuff. We don't talk about that. I don't need to know about that. Because what happens someday when that that person has a child, they have a little girl, they don't know anything and they can't talk to them and they don't have the tools in their tool belt. Like we're repeating that cycle over and over again. So we, we want them to understand everybody, all bodies. How does this work? What's the science here? It's, it's important. Absolutely. So as our kids are getting older, how do we address sex specifically and sexual health with them in ways that will really empower them to make the choices appropriate for them without scaring or shaming them? Mm, I think that can be hard. It can be really hard because as adults, unfortunately, we have already been taught that some topics are taboo, that are are shameful. It's, It's hard not to react when a young person asks us something that we maybe weren't ready for or that we have strong values in in one way or another. So what I really wanna do in these situations is challenge adults and anybody listening, anybody paying attention here, challenge you to think about the sexual health education that you had growing up. What did that look like? What was that, was that a trusted adult or was that a movie or was that a Cosmo magazine or what was it that, where did you learn your information? And then think about what you really needed. What did you, what kind of sexual health education did you need? And I'm sure those two things look very different. If you had an accurate place to get information, if you had a trusted adult, if you had somebody talking to you, that could look very different from the people who are learning from somewhere else, from their peers, from experiences, from early experiences, right? Things like that, it looks different. And so I really encourage you to be that support that you needed and not what you had, if that makes sense. It can really catch you off guard sometimes, depending on the questions they're asking. And I just want you to know it's okay. Like, it's okay to blush. It's okay to say, uh, I'm not, that was a mature question. I'm not ready to answer that. Can I, can we talk about that after dinner? Or can, can you give me a minute? Like, that's okay. It's, it's okay for them to see you be vulnerable and it's okay for them to see you kind of stop and pause. Um, Cause you want to make sure that you're not shaming them. You want to make sure that you're not reacting with that face of like, what, what, where, where did you hear that from? Right. Just being patient and slow with the process and realizing that if they've asked the question, they've heard it somewhere, this is my opportunity to get ahead of it and help them learn about this topic, right? Really asking open-ended questions. Well, what do you think? How do, well, how, what do, you, how do you feel about that? What did you learn about that? What are your opinions? That can really help you to gauge where they're at, what they heard, what they learned, if there was misinformation, how do I correct that? And sometimes all it is is a simple answer. And they're like, oh, okay. And the conversation is done. So we don't have to build up for some, some of these heavy topics and some of these heavy, heavy questions to be this big, long conversation. Sometimes it will surprise us that it's just a, oh, okay, that's all I need. Thank you. Right? And then they may come back a week later and say, okay, remember you said that? Now I have more questions. And you've opened that door. You've, you've opened this line of communication for them to continue to come back and forth with you. And that's all it takes. That's, that's just really think about what you needed and how can you be that, that advocate for their learning. So I love the idea of being really introspective about as parents thinking back on what were our experiences with sexual health education and 
did we feel shameful or scared about sex and how can we kind of correct that cycle and make it not feel that way for our kids or what information did I not know that I should have known or I wished I had known and and be sure that we get ahead of that for our own kids so Brittany here's here's my next question what if you don't have a kid who's asking questions you might not they may not have questions so what you can do is you can you can bring it up on your own there's different ways to bring it up on their own like i said if you're watching tv and somebody kisses on screen ooh, what do you think about that why why were they doing that um or you see it something modeled a very unhealthy relationship let's let's pause here let's let's talk about what just happened let's what did you think? What did you see? How did you feel about that? You can definitely bring it up. Um, you can also, depending on the topic, say, hey, I was, I was scrolling through the internet the other day and I came across this. Have you heard of this before? You know what this is? You can definitely bring it up um, if you think that they're ready. Also, you may have to come to this realization so hard for us as parents that you may not be their trusted adult. They may have someone else. This may be their aunt their uncle, a counselor, somebody who they are, they are comfortable with that they're asking. So you may ask them that. Are you getting information somewhere? Who is it coming from? What do you, you know, do you need anything from me? Maybe this is just too awkward. And that's hard. <laughs> that's so hard as a parent to realize that you may not be that person. And it, like, even for me, with kids in my circle, um, I don't have any kiddos old enough to really ask asking me the hard questions, but I have nieces and nephews and I so badly want to be that per person because this is what I do. They're just not ready. They don't want to talk to Aunt Brittany about this. They, they don't want to do that. So just encouraging them to have a trusted adult in their life um, and help to guide them to accurate information, send them to amaze.org, things like that. And then if you have questions, you want to discuss it, we can. Here's your book. You're, you know, things like that. Um, most of the time, I think they are going to be coming to their parents if their parents have started this open line of communication. Because we know you're the number one influence and the number one educator in their life for every other topic. This probably won't be any different. That's such great advice. Okay, here's the next topic. What about porn? I know this, I was telling you before we started recording, this has been a topic of conversation at my oldest child's school and we are talking about fourth and fifth graders. So um, I had to kind of have a reactive conversation with her about what is porn and why does she need to know about it? <laughs> so when do we start talking to our kids about porn and why is this really important that we make this part of these conversations? Well, I wanna acknowledge first that it's a really scary topic to cover. It's really scary, it's really hard. There's a lot of, for a lot of adults, there's a lot of shame, blame, guilt, all those things wrapped up when you start talking about pornography. And so sometimes we have to unpack some of that and realize that it may not be the same for our young people and we really do need to address it. We need to address it, we can talk, talk to them about it before they've been exposed to it. So it can come a lot earlier than we expect it to. Um, because like you said, fourth grade, right? Yeah, it is pretty early. What is that? Nine, eight, nine, yeah. ten? Yeah, somewhere in that range. So it's it's really early for us, for especially for adults who may have never had an adult step in and talk to us about pornography. It feels really early to be talking to them about it. But the matter of the fact is, is everywhere. Porn and sexually explicit images are everywhere, and oftentimes it aims to target young people. 
And so it's, it's, and sometimes it's intentional. Sometimes they're, they're stumbling upon it and it's just, they just see this. So when young people are given devices and internet access, that's when I would start to have these conversations. They will probably stumble upon pornography. They may even search for sexual content because they're looking for answers to something. Remember their curiosity. They've heard something at school. Maybe they're not ready to talk to mom. They may search for something and it come up, right? So we have to be, we let them know that this could happen. Um, maintaining an open, shame-free dialogue really early with them can help them to understand what they may see and may come across on the internet. We really don't want them internalizing toxic messages about bodies and sex and relationships, gender, consent. That's why we have to get ahead of it. As parents, that's why I'm encouraging conversations as early as possible to get ahead of those messages that they may see elsewhere, and that includes pornography. So what I would tell parents is the first thing you really want to do is make sure you're familiar with the devices your children are using. So that may be a phone. It may be a computer, but it can be another device too. Think about their gaming system. Think about um, their little handheld games, whatever they're using. And in that time, if it has internet access, if there's access points in to chat with people, things like that, you, we need to be having these conversations to establish agreements on what, to, what needs to happen if we come across something. Prepare them. You may see bodies. You may see images that make you uncomfortable. Come up with ideas, rules, agreements. What do we do here? Do we turn it off? Do we bring it straight to an adult? What do you want this to look like in your home? And know <laughs> that with all of those safeguards in place, they still may come across pornography. Like you can set this up, you can take those preventative me measures, but they still may come across explicit images, words, memes, but maybe it's not, not you know, explicit pornography, but they're coming across sexual messages all the time. So we need to, to help them to process those things if they're on the internet, if they're in those spaces. And like with other sexual health topics, I think it's best to consider talking to them before, before they've, they've hit puberty, before they have access to the internet. Um, it's part of one of those things. If we're going to be handing this over, let's have this conversation. And then it, go ahead. Well, I was just, um, it, it was a wake up call for me, for sure, that even though my child didn't have access to any of those kinds of images, that this is what other kids her age are talking about. Yeah. Uh, as parents, we, we have to be aware of that and, and we have to pay attention to, even if we think our kid's not going to come across pornography, their friends might be talking about it. Or even if we aren't sure that our kid is ready to have information about puberty, other kids their age may be talking about it. And so that being proactive and being kind of in tune with what, what the conversations are in, in our kids' age ranges and knowing they're really different than they were when we were kids. Yeah, that is such a good point. That is such a good point. You can put these safeguards in place. You can say, hey, you can't have the phone. You can't do this. But that's not, that may not be the, the case of their best friend's house. That may not be the case when they even go to school. And like I said earlier, sitting on the back of the bus, like what are they pulling up on their phones there? Um, it, it's everywhere. Pornography and, and other explicit images. Like I can't say it enough. It's not just pornography. It's so much more than that. It's what they're seeing in movies and TV and and what are they seeing on TikTok, right? Other, other outlets that may not be what we classify as pornography, but can still be very sexual in nature, um, very explicit, still not, not portraying the kind of relationship that we're wishing for them. So 
getting ahead of it, letting them know that it's out there and they may see it. They probably will. Um, it's really important <laughs> to not lecture them when they come to you about with questions of this, to try and keep the conversation as though they are not in trouble. We're, we're just talking through what, like, what is out there, what can happen, really making sure that they understand that pornography is meant for adult entertainment. It's, it's meant to make a profit. It's not an accurate representation of sex or relationships, and it's not meant for education. It's not meant for their learning, and that's really important for them to know. We teach them that everything you see in the movies is not real. Everything you see on TV is not real. Pornography is the same thing. It's not necessarily real. It doesn't depict what a real relationship looks like. Um, sexual or intimate relationships require consent, right? They, they require consent in conversations to be healthy. This involves trust, respect, honest communication between partners, and most of the time that's left out of pornography. That's why, and I keep saying this, but that's why we wanna get ahead of this. That's why we wanna have these conversations before and let them know that when they do see these images, when they do see pornography, because they will eventually, this is not real. This isn't what a real relationship necessarily looks like. Yeah, I, I really appreciate that. I feel like all of you at Thrive do a great job of, of talking about is consent. and and making sure that our kids understand, like we're not just talking about the logistics of sex, we're talking about what healthy relationships look like. That's a really key part of all of this too. So consent, we've talked about this several times, and this is a really good topic of something that we can start talking about when our kids are really little, and it is an ongoing conversation that changes and grows um, as our kids get older. So, We've talked a little bit about it, but are there other things you would add to kind of show parents how you start having conversations about consent and then kind of how that develops as kids get older? Yeah, absolutely. So to me, like consent should be the central part of the conversation when we're talking about sexual health education. Yes, those other topics, puberty and anatomy and all of that comes into to play. They have a lot of questions. Usually when you get questions, it's not about consent, but it needs to be involved in our, in our dialogue and what we're saying to them. We want to empower our kids to learn to say no, to learn to say stop, to speak up. And we also want to teach them how to gain consent appropriately. It's twofold, right? We have to, we have to do both in order to have an a encompassing conversation about consent. Um, and we can start modeling that really, really early for them. Like I said earlier, it does not have to revolve around sex when we're talking about consent in order to get this conversation started. You, you had said earlier something about um, when a grandparent comes over, not forcing that physical boundary, right? No, no, you don't have to force hugs and kisses. And if they want to hug and kiss, that's awesome. But if they are uncomfortable and they don't want to, don't make them come up with other, other ways. And if, if your family member has a hard time with that, that's a conversation we can have with them as an adult on the side. Um, but really, really helping them in their, in their boundaries and their bodily autonomy. And I often think of being tickled, right? Of tickling kids. Kids like to be tickled sometimes, not all the time. So oftentimes you might ask, like, you might start tickling or you might say, can I tickle you? Or, you know, start tickling. And then they say no or stop. I think it's really important to be listening for those cues because naturally you want to keep going and just tickle them and they're laughing and it's so cute. But when they say no or stop, you want to give them power and those voices and stop. Now they may say, okay, do it again, do it again. And then you, you continue playing. 
but they may say stop and they don't want you to do that right now and it's important to realize that they are a person and they have bodily autonomy and we have to stop and give them power in those words and let them know how powerful they are and that their words are important and that they can use them um, we want to teach them as they get a little bit older to be, to be doing that themselves, asking their friends, can I hug you? Do you want to wrestle? Do you want to play? Like what, how do we show them that they can, they can ask for consent and gain consent through their whole life, right? You don't just want to come up to a kid and push them over and start wrestling with them. They want to ask, do you want to do, do you want to play this game, right? It's, it's just really important to, to be showing them that. Um, Oftentimes, I hear people talk about encouraging conversations about what, what feeling good and feeling bad looks like. So maybe feeling bad is like not feeling good, maybe feeling dizzy. That's a bad feeling. That's not, I don't like that. But good feelings are like, I do like to be tickled or I do like um, the soft blanket. That feels good. And so starting to help them to label their, their, like what they're feeling, what they're noticing, and that can start to they can start to internalize their emotions and what they're feeling. All of those things play into consent. This big conversation of how do I express what I'm feeling, what I want, what I don't want. Um, and like I said, very, very, very early. All of that can spark really big conversations about good touch, bad touch, what that looks like, um, what's appropriate touch, what is not. And then that starts early, but continues to be a really crucial conversation as we get into middle school. Um, we start seeing um, like these touch games, we slap the butt and we pop the bra, or you know, maybe you, you might even see, you know, they slap each other's genitals to see the reaction of what happens. And all of those things are broaching upon consent and this is not okay. And how would you feel if this happened to you? How would you feel if somebody hurt you in that way? Uh, we hear this rhetoric that, oh, you know, it's just, they're just playing, they're just kids will be kids, things like that, but we don't want to model that. We want to show them, no, this is their body, this is their body boundary. We want to help them to kind of process that, and, and through doing all of that, we're teaching consent, we're modeling consent, we're teaching them how, how this will work as they get older. And again, it doesn't have to be sexual, but it, it definitely is laying that foundation. Um, and then, of course, you lay this foundation and as they're older and you have a high school student and they're maybe in a relationship, this has become a natural part of their conversation and you're just helping them to guide what this can look like and where boundaries are and how we respect boundaries of other people. Those are so powerful examples. Um, thank you for walking us through that. I think that's so important for parents to really be thinking about how do we continue to make consent a really vital piece of all of these conversations. Another thing that has been a big conversation in my household right now, and I know is also a really important piece of all this, is body positivity. Um, how do we help kids of all ages love the skin that they're in? How do we model that for them, but also by, you know, be honest with them that this can be really hard. Well, it can be hard. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it can be so hard. We can be so hard on ourselves as adults, as parents, and our children do pick up on that. Um, you know, they, they see what we see, they see what we say, they do what we do. So they model our behavior. So the biggest thing we can do is try and be a positive role model for them as far as body image goes. The self-confidence starts with you. 
So it's, it's so important to avoid discussions about, I need to lose the extra 10 pounds from Thanksgiving or any of that self-deprecating talk that we tend to have um, about our bodies, even if we're just joking. We don't want our kids to hear that. So I know it sounds silly, but look at, look at yourself in the mirror and pinpoint the things you do like when they're watching. Like, oh my gosh, my hair looks fabulous today. Or, you know, I am killing it in this outfit. You know, things like that. Really just, just saying things to help them see that it is okay to feel good about yourself. It's okay to feel good about your body. Um, it's really important to also talk to them about their gender identity, right? Um, assuring them that it's okay to have feminine or masculine traits, um, their appearance, their hobbies, no matter how they identify, right? You, like letting them know that whatever they're into is all right. You've got a little girl who loves, you know, green dinosaurs. Love the green dinosaurs, right? Love those things and really offer praise around their abilities, their accomplishments, rather than their appearance and their looks. Um, you know, really holding on to the, those things and not so much focusing on what they're wearing or what they're doing or anything like that. Um, you love them no matter what they wear, no matter how they look. And that's that foundation piece of, of self-esteem. And self-esteem plays a huge role in decision-making for adolescents. So we want to make sure that we're building up that self-esteem. We're not focused on their bodies or how they look rather than the choices they're making the work that they're accomplishing, the things that they're doing, and you can really start making a huge difference in that dialogue. Love that. So October is also LGBTQ plus history month, which is yeah. a great reminder. You were just talking about this on addressing gender identity, sexual orientation, what all the letters in LGBTQ plus mean. <laughs> Why is it so important for us to include in these conversations on sexual health and because this may be a conversation parents today didn't have the benefit of experiencing when they were growing up, how can parents find out more information? Well, this is still, it's, it's an ever evolving conversation, um, which can be a little difficult when you think about puberty is puberty. Bodies change and they change in this way for the most part. Um, and then we have things like this that are, we're talking about LGBTQ plus, um, bodies and things that the way we talk about it, the way we handle those, those topics with care, it does change. And so it can be very intimidating for parents, but it's really important to know that how a person identifies and how, what their sexual orientation is plays a huge role in their health, their sexual health decisions and decision-making. And this ties back to the conversation we were having earlier about puberty and the function of the body and needing to know what everyone's learning about bodies, because no matter where they end up, we're wanting to empower them with this information no matter how they feel, no matter how they're expressing themselves. So it's really, it's really important to include all um, in these conversations and making sure that all kids, no matter where they're coming from, have access to this information. That's why we don't want to assume genders and break them up in classes by boys or girls, right? We, we want everybody together, learning together, very inclusive learning for all so that everybody can make sexual health decisions um, appropriately for themselves. And, whether it's your own children or children you work or care for, the goal again is to have healthy, happy children. And I do want to highlight that some of our research tells us that for LGBTQ plus youth, having just one affirming adult lowers their suicidality by 40%. That's huge. So just being an ally and answering questions with honest answers can literally be saving the life of somebody. Um, 
just by helping them to feel included in these conversations, just by letting them know that, hey, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you're attracted to or what your body looks like. Here's the information that you need. You could be saving someone's life and it's so important. So um, it's, it's just all encompassing and wrapped up into the conversations I have. That's so awesome. So this the whole conversation today is really just kind of a jumping off point of a new partnership between Metro Family and Thrive that we're really excited about. In November 2021, we're launching a series in our print magazine on talking with kids about sex with tips and resources from the experts at Thrive. Each column through mid-2022 will be dedicated to a specific age group of child and really help parents navigate what kinds of conversations they could be having and information they could be sharing at that particular age. Brittany, tell us more about what parents will be able to learn from these columns. Yeah, we are so excited to partner with you guys on this. This is, it'll be really fun. So we're, we're going to have four different columns, just like you were saying, about how to talk to kids about their body parts, sex, we'll have um, like some talking tips, different resources, all of it will be in an age-appropriate manner. Um, we're rolling up the high school one first, then it'll come to middle school and elementary, and then the last one will be for pre-K and, and toddlers. So we'll have talking points in there. A lot of the stuff we've been talking about today, more concrete resources, things for people to look at. There's, it'll be so exciting to get to see um, this stuff getting out there, and hopefully, we'll we'll get to really meet the needs of the community and really give some concrete support on what these conversations can look like and what they need. I know you guys often say, and we hear from parents too, that parents um, today want to have these conversations with their kids. They want to provide accurate information, but they just don't always know where to start. So we are hoping that together, like you said, we can provide some really powerful resources for parents. And as we close out today, Brittany, give us um, an overview of what kinds of resources parents can find on Thrive's website to help empower them further to talk to their kids about sexual health. Yeah, so um, actually we're about to roll out a brand new website and we're really excited about that. So that should be coming end of the month this month, beginning of next month. Um, so right now, if you go to Thrive OKC, we have a resources section for parents. There's a parent toolkit. There's a lot of other resources um, about like clinic um, access, the, the book list that I mentioned earlier. There's a bunch of statistics on teen pregnancy rates in Oklahoma. Um, there's so much information and along with links to other partner organizations that have a lot of resources as well and then later on when we re when we roll out our new website there will be so much more content specifically for parents um, and then also for teens so hopefully it'll become a place where teens can come and look and find um, resources on their own as well um, and then also there's ways to connect with us on, th on the Thrive website and also you can follow us on social media Thrive OKC we're on Facebook Twitter and Instagram there is so much great information on Thrive's website. So for all of our listeners, I really, no matter what age your kids are, I encourage you to go check it out because you will absolutely find helpful resources for you. Thank you so much for joining me today, Brittany. This has been so helpful. Thank you for answering all of these important parent questions and really empowering us to prioritize these ongoing conversations with our kids. For our listeners, you can look for Thrive's column on talking to kids about sex at metrofamilymagazine.com.
Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.